What's up, amigos? It's the Prodigy Maker Show, episode 52. Talking about the forehand today. Forehand Folly is the title of the show. Not Forehand Volley, if you think I've made a typo or some mistake. This is Chris Lewitt here, back with you guys. We had a little bit of a spring break. Didn't do a show for a month or so, so I apologize for that if you miss me. But we're back now. I've been writing some articles. The basis of today's show is for uh, an article that I wrote for New York Tennis Magazine. It's coming out next month. And it's called Forehand Folly. Essentially, forehand foolishness, the way I see it in the trenches, the developmental trenches. And I talk about the eight most common mistakes that I see players and coaches making. So that's what I'd like to talk about today. How have you guys been? I've been very busy with the academy and the club in Manchester, Vermont. We have the clay courts up and running. Super excited. Uh, Mid-April and we're already playing outside here in Vermont on the red clay. I just did a full day practice yesterday on the clay. It was great. It was beautiful out. The temperature was pretty good, and the clay courts are playing well. And I have some players coming in to get ready for nationals on clay. If you are training for clay court tournaments, please consider coming up here and training with me. I love to work out on the clay, and I have a particular expertise in the clay court game. All those years of studying in Spain. What else is going on? The summer camp is coming up fast, summer camp season. We have a very busy summer. We will be sold out again this year, especially in the month of July. I have players coming in from all over the country early June, uh, late May, early June, and then we ramp up the summer season. Summer, uh, Our official summer camp kicks off June 21st. We have a tremendous summer planned for any of you who are high-performance players and you're looking for a serious summer academy with professional-level training and coaching please consider coming to visit me here in Manchester, Vermont. Such a beautiful place, uh, to, and especially in the summer, to train. Incredible environment and also professional-level training. Let's get to the forehand. If you have any forehand questions, if you're tuning in live on Facebook and you have forehand technical questions, I may spur some thoughts and ideas in your mind as we go through some of the common mistakes. Feel free to shoot those out to me as a comment, and I will do my best to answer. And if you have any other questions, technical questions or otherwise, after the show, if you're catching the show on podcast or on our YouTube channel, feel free to reach out to me with any technical questions. That's one of my favorite areas in junior development is working on the technique and the biomechanics of young young kids especially. I consider that a, a great strength of mine. So... I love talking about technique and biomechanics, and I like uh, answering questions from readers and viewers from around the world. So, first one of the eight common mistakes that I see in the developmental trenches is staying on the ground. So, it's very common. I see many players, especially young players who come to me under 10 and under 12, and they are taught to stay grounded on virtually every shot. 
they're instructed not to jump, not to lift off the ground. And I just think that's a mistake. It's a little old fashioned. A lot of these mistakes that I see, a lot of these follies or foolishness that I see are, are areas of technique that I think are outdated and old fashioned. And I think this is one of them where we teach kids to stay on the ground. I know a lot of kids, a lot of coaches especially love that. You know, it's part of their methodology even some famous coaches and I would just suggest to all of you coaches who are watching the show fans of the show or listening on the podcast try to think a little bit out of the box kids don't necessarily have to be taught to stay on the ground they can jump in a controlled way they can learn how to spin their bodies in midair they can learn how to rotate their hips and shoulders and that's part of good modern biomechanics it doesn't need to be done at full force or velocity yet because they're still kids but you can teach a lot of those good modern mechanics to children along with sometimes staying on the ground particularly on low balls you know you're going to jump more on mid mid waist to shoulder height balls and on lower balls you typically don't jump why not teach all of that to a young kid a young talented prodigy or young player rather than getting stuck to the ground all the time you know where you know it limits the player it makes it hard to learn how to rotate the hips well oftentimes the contact point gets jammed and the player ends up with kind of a stiff swing because they're they're kind of stuck on the ground and they're trying to maybe learn how to pivot but it's much more efficient to teach the player actually how to load and explode and leave the ground in a controlled way and it actually helps i found with developing a nice parabolic swing shape and developing elasticity and fluidity in the arm just something we can talk about later so staying on the ground is is good it's okay but why do we have to teach that exclusively to beginners or young kids i, I work mainly with juniors but anything i'm saying here could apply to working with adults beginning adults or or any adults that are, who are developing technique uh, why does everyone have to be grounded? Think outside the box. Think about the future of the game. Think about the evolution of the game in the past 20 or 30 years, technically and biomechanically. It's it's clear that the game on the forehand side has evolved to be more explosive, to be more airborne, to be more rotational. And I think the way you teach should reflect that, especially the way you teach young children. I started my article, I talked about how Tony Nadal says the forehand is the most important shot in the game. Do you guys agree or disagree? A lot of coaches and players will say the serve or the return of serve or both of those are the most important. I was talking about this with a student last week and he said, well, Chris, you know, the serve, you only use half the, half the points, you know, half, half the games, basically. Uh, the forehand you, you use a lot more a lot with a lot more frequency you use it on returning you use it on ground strokes you use it pretty much every point and I thought that was a very obvious uh, very obvious observation but I thought there was a lot of truth to that I was like yeah you know you're right you know serve is su super important but you don't use the serve all, all the time do you and you could potentially use your forehand every point and I thought he my student, he made a very good case for why the forehand, 
I made a good good argument for why the forehand could be could be argued to be more important than the serve or the return, which are typically only used, uh, you know, half the points or every other game. So I thought that was interesting. But you know what Tony is saying, whether you agree with him or not, is I think you have to admit that the forehand is the dominant shot in professional tennis, especially with the men. But it's happening more and more with the women now. The women, the women's game, the WTA game is reflecting more and more the ATP game or men's game. And the forehand is that dominant weapon that you use to pummel, to destroy, to uh, take command destroy your opponent and take command of a match. And I think that's what Tony's getting at. And the way Tony Nadal trained and developed Rafael was to, to, to emphasize that forehand developmentally, to do lots of exercises where Rafael, when he was a kid, Rafa would run around the backhand, many exercises that Tony does. To, de to develop the forehand from the inverted position. In Spain, they call it the drive invertido, the, the inverted drive. We call it in the U.S. sometimes the inside-out um, forehand shot. And Tony was obsessed with that. And similarly, many coaches in Spain, many of the legends in Spain believe in that. And, and many of the young, new generation of coaches in Spain all I'll, I'll emphasize the forehand as the dominant weapon and the dominant shot and the shot that you want to use your footwork to to get around the backhand and and uh, and hit so I want to just throw that out to you guys what do you think is the most important shot in the game is it the forehand obviously serve and return are very important you know all right number two close stance obsession this goes right along with the staying grounded mantra emphasis uh, obsession why why do we have to stay grounded and always step into the ball so i know a lot of i studied with some famous coaches who, who they really stress stepping in and it, it's not all such a bad thing it's good to teach players to step into a ball to take time away to move forward to a ball uh, Tony Nadal definitely emphasizes that in his developmental philosophy, and many other great coaches do. But at the same time, it's a fact that the game has evolved. The modern game is much more open stance and semi-open stance oriented. You need it movement-wise to, to, to move efficiently and to set up and recover back into the court. Some would argue that there's more power in the rotation and forces that are generated from an open stance, more power and spin. That's something that the sports scientists can debate. But nevertheless, I don't understand how I can get a player coming to me at 9 or 10 or 11 who never practiced open stance before. I think that's a big flaw in development. And I think all coaches should work on open stance as well as close stance, all the stances. Develop them all. Develop. And that's what they do in France. That's part of the French system, French methodology. De develop all of the footwork skills that you're going to need. And I think that's the best way to develop uh, footwork in terms of stances. Don't, don't just be obsessed with one. 
on the same side, some coaches are obsessed with open stance too much and players develop bad habits. They can get a little sloppy, a little lazy. They don't move to the ball. They, you know, they, they, get, they, they can be lazy with their balance and the control of their body from an open stance. So that is similarly a developmental mistake. But what I'm saying is why only stepping in, you know? I don't agree, guys. Try to mix both, both all, all the stances, or however you want to describe. Them. I usually describe them as, as open and closed, and of course there are some everything in between, like semi-open and things like that. Number three, this one is driving me bananas, and I don't know in my lifetime it will, if it will ever go away, especially now with Daniel. Medvedev at number two in the world, wrapping the uh, arm around his neck like he's choking himself. The follow-through around the neck, will it ever die? Will the insanity ever stop where we teach all the young children in the U.S.? You know, I'm a U.S.-based coach, but I see it around the world to follow through. And if you're watching this show on video, you can see me choking myself around the neck. You know, a very stiff and slow, I might add, movement of the arm biomechanically or, you know, physiologically can generate, um, functionally, you can generate more acceleration with a windshield wiper action. And this is why it's just mind-boggling to me that we still are teaching this very old-style, old-fashioned way of swinging with kind of a firm wrist, firm arm structure and follow through to the to the top of the shoulder or, or, or even higher around the neck. It's a very common one to the ear or on the neck. I just think it's it's crazy, it's outdated, it's an anachronism. It should just you can sometimes follow up follow through there, but you know, the main focus should be on the windshield wipering of the arm. You know, the rotation of the shoulder, the internal rotation of the shoulder and the, the, the pronation of the forearm and wrist. And that, that basically the wipering action that's so common now with professional players' forehands. Why don't we teach that? Why do I have so many children coming to me who are swinging really stiff and tight and they're choking themselves around the neck and it's just a mess? And I got to fix all those forehands. But it's great for my business, guys. I mean, if you guys all want to teach it like that, it's great for me. Because I'll update, I'll update all those techniques with something more modern. And the parents come to me. The kids aren't doing that well. Anyway, related to number three is number four, a stiff arm, stiff lower arm, and a stiff wrist. You know, back in the day... 50s, 60s, even 70s, even a little bit 80s, you know, the wrist was supposed to be firm on the forehand. You step in linearly to the ball. You extend with the firm, you know, firm wrist and straight, pretty straight arm structure. You follow through up to the shoulder, to the ear, out in front. I mean, come on, nobody hits like that anymore. Maybe Dominic Team hits like that when he's just kind of practicing and warming up and stuff. But he watch him when he plays. He doesn't. He's wipering. He's rotating his forearm and and his from his shoulder, um, his his upper arm, lower arm, and I just I think it's it's crazy that we still are teaching this outdated 
style that and, and and the stiffness aspect the the players that I see players coming to me are very very tight there you can see the tension rippling through their forearm muscles their arm muscles the forearm should be whippy should be elastic should be fluid and I, I say fluid and 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 quick and we'll talk about acceleration in a little bit but but it should be a, a quick fluidity, smooth but smooth but fast, you know, and and you can't get whip. I did a I have an online course on building the Spanish for, and it's called hashtag whip. Appropri- uh, you know, appropriately enough, and, and whip is what we're after. And with young kids, you can develop, you can certainly develop whip. And I don't see a lot of coaches doing that. I see a lot of coaches working on other less important technical areas you know and you want to make sure that if you have a kid five six seven eight nine ten eleven whatever or an adult you get the occasional adult who wants to learn how to hit a world-class form when they swing there has to be a relaxation in that arm from the shoulder down to the elbow you know, through those joints, through the wrist, the glenohumeral joint, at the shoulder, to the humeral ulnar joint, at the elbow, you know, to the radio carpal joint, you know, all, all the that whole structure of that those three joints, you know, they should be relaxed and, and there should be a whip that's generated, a speed uh with the racket. And I very rarely see that. I see it in Spain, you know. I see it in some other countries, South America particularly, South American players. Argentina comes to mind. You know, they, they understand that the arm has to be relaxed. Uh, the forearm, wrist, upper arm has to be relaxed. They, they have to be relaxed. The joints have to, can't be tight uh, to develop, number one, power, fluid power and rpm and and that that is uh that will come a little bit later in in the essay that i wrote that rpm means spin you know we'll get to that in a little bit so before i continue on with the last four i wanted to share with you guys the way i see uh, share a few couple anecdotes about a couple famous players uh who had great forehands three players actually and and it just i think they highlight the historical context that all coaches and players and parents should understand in regards to forehand technical development the first player who i I like to talk about is bjorn borg and so back in the the 70s i want to say maybe borg was developing as a young kid in the late 60s i have to get the I have to check his his dates, but let's say mid to the late sixties, early seventies. He was probably on tour by the seventies, right? So, you know, pre nineteen eighties, let's say, just as as the general timeline goes. I think it's important to understand a little bit of history. You had a guy Borg, who had this whippy forehand that he learned from playing table tennis. He was a big ping pong table, very good ping pong table. Uh, ping pong player and it's a great story he actually 
got his first tennis racket from winning a local ping pong tournament. It was the grand prize, believe it or not. It's a great story from his autobiography, which I highly recommend. It's called My Life and Game by Bjorn Borg. It's out of print, but I have a copy of it. You can still get it, I think, online if you search. It's a, it's a wonderful autobiography. And he talks about players from his time, you know, contemporary contemporaneous players that he he battled against and he talks about how he developed as a junior and he talks about his forehand and how he refused to listen to any of the great legends of his time who wanted him to swing the way I've been describing to you as as kind of out an outdated way an antiquated way you know all the coaches wanted him to have kind of a very conservative grip I mean his grip wasn't that extreme it's probably borderline semi-western but you know, they wanted him to swing, uh, step into the ball to to keep everything firm and, and to extend and, you know, follow through just the way like the classic textbooks teach. And the way, mind-bogglingly enough, so many coaches teach around the world still. And Borg refused. He was a very stubborn kid. And he wanted to hit the forehand like he hit ping pong shot. You know, like he whipped it with his wrist. And I just think that's a, re a remarkable anecdote, just a little nugget of history to kind of just put that down, put a, a little, little pin that, pin that on your historical timeline so you can understand some of the historical context for the technical development of the, of the modern foreign, let's say 60s and 70s Borg. And... At the time, he was one of the few guys, there's probably a few, couple, couple other guys on the tour, probably South American guys, you know, I could maybe think of like Vilas, um, Guillermo Vilas, and, and some others who played topspin and whip, some Spanish guys on the forehand, not so much, maybe not so much on the backhand, but, you know, he was, Borg had a forehand that was 30, 40 years ahead of the rest of the world. Now, he foreshadowed the modern forehand. He, he, he was a genius in that respect. And he used to, he whipped his wrist and forearm. His arm was very relaxed. And, and he had, he wipered the finish, you know? And this was something that was crazy at that time, in that era. Very few people hit the ball like that. So just a historical pinpoint and let's move to the 80s, okay? The 80s. You had two guys who I like to compare contemporaneously. You had Sergio Bruguera, who was a famous player from the 80s and 90s. He was, de he was developing as a kid in the 80s. And he had this whipping topspin forehand very much like Borg. His grip was a little more extreme. Bruguera, Sergio Bruguera. And I know the Bruguera family very well. I've studied for many years with Luis Bruguera, who's Sergi's dad. So I know this story very well. And Luis tells me, or has told me many times, that when Sergi was hitting his forehand, like with a lot of topspin and whip and sometimes open stance and hip rotation and all of the coaches around Luis and Sergi all of the best coaches like in Spain and, and in Europe told Luis that he was going to ruin 
destroy his son's career by allowing him to hit in this funky way, you know. And do you know that forehand, Sergio Brugueras, had more RPM than many of the modern forehands do today. With and he didn't even have poly string, you know, with with old technology. The guy was generating such a heavy ball. He was so whippy and relaxed through that forehand. Tremendous weapon. And that forehand that was kind of funky, still very rare in the 80s when when Sergi was uh, coming up. He was, I think, Spanish champion in juniors, maybe 88 or 86. So And then he won Roland Garros, 93, 94. So this is like mid to late 80s and then early 90s, etc. And Sergi pioneered that type of foreign. And now everyone is whipping the ball like that. You see Kyrgios and you see, of course, Nadal. And you name your team, name your favorite modern forehand. If you say Daniil, I don't know what to tell you. He, he whips it, but it's kind of a, he's got a weird hybrid swing because he, he whips it, but he's very loose. But he has this strange anachronistic finish you know around his neck it's very awkward looking anyway don't mean to bash Daniil he's an amazing fighter great player not someone I would copy on technique so much maybe with the backhand a little more but then at the same time contemporaneously I'll get to the point of the story you have Jimmy Arias in the US and I love comparing these three on the historical timeline same era more or less as Sergi Bruguera, but across the ocean in the U.S. And Jimmy, he he tells some great. It's a great podcast that he did. He talks about how back in the day, in the '80s, when he was developing, I assume it's early '80s, maybe. And Jimmy was on tour mid to late '80s. I have to check my dates, guys. But anyway, let's say '80s. All the coaches of that time wanted to teach Jimmy the, that same forehand that I'm criticizing now. It's the year 2020, okay? And he tells a great story. I forget whose podcast it was. You could probably search it if you look for Jimmy Ayers. Jimmy Ayers had this tremendous whipping topspin forehand back in the 80s, and it was very rare. And when Nick Bolateri saw it, Ayers was a Bolateri prodigy, Nick brought all of his coaches over to Jimmy's court and said, guys, we're going to teach the forehand the way Jimmy hits it. We're going to teach the Arias forehand. And that became the Bolateri forehand. Nick Bolateri admits that. He, he tells that story you know, proudly. It's a great story. Anyway, going back a little further, Jimmy and his dad, his dad was an engineer. I guess maybe a mechanical engineer. I forget what type of engineer he was, but he saw the way that the traditional coaches of that time in the 80s were teaching Jimmy. And he said, this is crazy. It's kind of like the way I'm talking to you guys now. He said, this is nuts. This is not the best way to swing the racket. This is not the fastest way to swing the racket. This is not the most efficient or effective way to swing the racket, you know, tight and stiff and around the neck. And he said to Jimmy, you know what? Just load it up and swing as you wish and let it flow, you know, let it rip, let it whip. And that developed into this arcing, parabolic, semi-open to open stance, very loose arm style that made the Jimmy Ayers forehand famous. And really, 
also pioneered the modern form, the form that we see today on the Pro Tour. So with that little history lesson, if you guys are still with me and not asleep, I think it's a fascinating historical lesson. Fast forward to 2020, and coaches are essentially still, most coaches are essentially still teaching the old way to the little Jimmy Ariases coming up in the trenches. And I think that is crazy. That's what I'm talking about. It's, it's lunacy. It's nuts. I mean, guys, just, you know, evolve. Let's go. Jimmy Aris's dad saw it in the 80s. I mean, this is, you know, 30, 40 years later here. We're still in the same, stuck in the same, framed in the same teaching habits. And, and kids are, I see so many kids teaching that old style, learning, learning that old style. It's crazy. Learn from geniuses, Borg, Ruggera, Aries. These, these are lessons that the really... They're really coaches that are really in tune with technical technical development. They get, they understand, they understand the historical context. Parents too, you gotta understand the history, and the arc of technical development on the forehand in the modern game. And if you can see the history clearly, you know that that there's there's a right way to teach it, a better way, and there's an old, less effective way, that is pretty still very common. All right. Number five is poor spacing and positioning. So this is a Spanish thing, an obsession with the way the player moves and positions, the sets up for the ball with, with good distance from the body, receiving the ball well and sending it well. And not enough players, in, especially in the U.S., are taught this. Are, are, there's not an obsession with this in the US like there is in Spain. In the US, uh, players that I see are bogged down with a lot of technical minutia. So a lot of technical details that are not really relevant, that you could argue they're irrelevant. And what they do is just distract from the main issue. So you have all of these little side dishes, but the coaches are serving up the side dishes, side snacks, the appetizers, but they're not getting to the main meal, you know, the steak and potatoes, the main dish, which is the spacing and the positioning, the way the player reads with the eyes and the way the player moves with the feet to set up with balance. Great Spanish coach Luis Mediero has presented on this, talked about this a lot, how for some reason, in the U.S., and sometimes in other countries, there's an obsession with technical things like, for example, grips. Not that I'm saying that grips are not important. It's important to have good, clean grips in general. But I have many players who come to me after years of private lessons, and no one stressed to them how they got to read the ball, they got to fine-tune with their feet, and move forward and back, left and right, to, to optimally position to receive the ball so that they can send it well. And when players come to me to train the Spanish way, that's one of the first things we talk about all the time. You want to know, I guess it's, it's a secret. It's not so much of a secret. I mean, it's a secret in my book, The Secrets of Spanish Tennis, but it's not really a secret anymore. But I don't see it taught that much. If it's not a secret, why don't people, te why don't people teach that? 
Why aren't kids learning that? You know, kids spending a lot of time working on their follow-through around the neck and not so much time dedicated to reading the ball with the eyes and moving well and positioning well. Related to number five, balance and body control. Why do I see so many players come to me and they're swinging for the fences or they're, they're hitting the ball and their bodies are in complete chaos. Their head, head is not still, the head is not stable. They don't have a good support system with the legs. Their upper body is swaying too much. You know, they don't have good postural control. And I think that should be part of the curriculum for young children. That should be a main, a big, big point of focus, priority, along with the, the spacing, the positioning, which is footwork. And it's just not stressed enough. You have many players that don't have control of their body. They can take lessons for years and years. They're learning all sorts of stuff about, like I said, technical, I want to say irrelevancies, technical, just, I don't know if coaches are trying to fill up lessons or they don't know what to focus, they don't know what to prioritize, but technical minutia, details that are not relevant, that are not really important. I'm working on my grip, I'm working on stepping it, putting my foot like this. You know, I have players come to me, what have you been working on with your coach? I've been working on stepping in with my foot like this angle. Really? He's paying for a lot of lessons like that? Well, okay. You know, it's spacing, body control, posture. Players should hit with the back straight. They should learn to keep their head stable as they accelerate, etc., etc. Postural control, body control. As the great Tony Nadal says, if you can't control your body, you, you cannot control the ball. So, number seven, a flat focus. We're getting there, guys. Seven and eight coming right up. Come on, you know what I'm saying? This would never happen in Spain. Is how can there be so many countless players coming to me at my academy in Vermont, in New York City, where I also coach? Flat, plano, muy plano. Why? Why is everyone hitting flat? Flat with a stiff arm and probably following through around their neck. How about teaching a little topspin, guys and girls? How about teaching spin? Or as they say in Spain, efecto. Un poco efecto, por favor. Please, how about a little spin? You know, guys? I have players who come to me, been playing for years, and they can't hit a good topspin. They can't play good defense with topspin. They can't attack with topspin. You know, topspin can be used to attack as well. I explain that to most kids, and they look at me like, like, what are you, what are you talking about? I thought I had to hit everything hard and flat to attack. You can attack someone with topspin. You can attack someone with underspin. There's different ways to attack. You know. So it's just, it's mind-boggling to me that 2020, 2021 now, I like 2020, uh, not a good year, but I just, 2020, I mean, let's get a clear vision here. 2021, and many kids, especially in 10 and under, are, are still taught to hit the ball flat, not to put rotation on the ball, not to learn effect. There's no excuse that by when a kid by 10, 11, 12, they should have a good topspin ball. They should probably also have a good flat ball. How about both? 
Why an obsession with just flat? You know? Crazy. Would never happen in Spain. Never. Even some of the old school Spanish academies like Bruguera. Bruguera's, Bruguera's gone now. There's no more Bruguera Academy. I'm really sad. They've reconstituted as the Bardot Tennis Academy, which is a new new one in Cornea. If you're interested in going to Spain, the Bruguera is no longer there. Can't believe it after all these years. Uh, Bardot is now the new Bruguera Academy. Anyway, you you know some of the classic uh, coaches, old, legendary coaches, older coaches who still teach flat. I mean, you're gonna learn spin though. You're gonna know how to spin the ball, and the way to spin the ball is with all the things I've been talking about, you know, like loose arm, whip, acceleration, good spacing and body control, you know, I talked to hundreds of students, you know, year in and year out, and very few understand the relationship between spacing and body control and topspin. If you have good spacing, you meet the ball at a good height between your hip and shoulder, and the ball's out in front, it's much easier to generate topspin than if you're cramped or if you're late. Most kids don't have a clue about that relationship. I ask them and they're like, I don't know. I ask them, how do you get topspin? They say, oh, I, uh, you brush low to high? Yeah. yeah. There, there's, a, there's more to it than just that, though. What about your spacing? Is that critical for RPM development? Yes, it is. Footwork and spacing. And number eight is... Drum roll, please, a lack of acceleration. So sometimes there are players who are trying to accelerate. They're, they're ripping the ball flat, usually, and their bodies are in complete chaos as they rip the ball. I see, I see kids like that. And on the other side of the spectrum, I see kids who are pushing the ball. They're, they're guiding the ball with a very slow swing. I see a lot of those. I see a lot of those coming out of red, orange, green systems. U10, 10 and under tennis. I don't know if it's just an American problem or if, it, you know, if it's more of a worldwide issue, but you see a, a lot of kids coming from the softballs. They're not swinging fast. They're not swinging hard. They're not developing acceleration. And that's something they work on a lot in Spain. And maybe along with our... Or concomitantly at the same time you got to teach body control while the kids accelerating so the acceleration's got to be there but not not just slapping the ball not just wild chaotic acceleration the acceleration has to be controlled acceleration the, the head has to be stable the the width of the support system in the legs and feet there has to has to be there stable support system in the legs a relatively straight torso, upper body, you know, as, as the body's rotating, the, the, the alignment of the body has to be good. So the, the balance, obviously, it's, it's number one, kids, some kids are swinging fast, but they're not taught how to swing fast where they can control the ball. And number two, a lot of kids aren't encouraged to swing fast. They aren't taught how to swing fluidly and fast. They're very tight when they swing because most kids, when you tell them to swing fast, they clench up and they, they muscle up and they try to muscle that ball, you know, and every and it's the wrong way to do it. The key is, is this relaxed body state 
and good postural control as you're accelerating. That's the key to world-class technique, especially world-class forehand. And it's just not being taught very much. I mean, I know there are some exceptions out there. Or there are some great, you know, modern thinking, sort of cutting edge, uh, technical coaches out there. Someone like, you know, someone like Rick Macy comes to mind. He's always been pushing the the modern and and, and always been always has understood uh, the the arc of technical development in the game. I think Macy's a great example of a very famous coach who's who's teaching in a modern way. Thank goodness, somebody, you know. But there's just so many coaches teaching the forehand poorly and inefficiently, especially in the red, orange, green environment. That This U10, something's really wrong with U10 tennis. I know that there are some positives from, you know, from some perspectives because it's, you know, it's a great way to get kids in the game, for example, but just developmentally, from a high-performance point of view, I see so many players coming out of U10 in America, in the U.S., with problems, technical problems, many of the problems that I'm telling you. Grounded, closed stance, stiff arm, no topspin, poor body control, very little acceleration, and, and these, these are forehands that are not going to develop into great weapons, the kids are coming to me, I get them at 10, or hopefully earlier, or 10, let's say 10, 11, or 12, and I got to do all the cleanup, make that forehand into a modern weapon. And it would be better, I mean, that's great for my business, to be honest, but it would be better just as a country, worldwide, if, for the level of the game, if the children were taught in a more modern way emphasizing modern fundamentals and, and technical parameters rather than the technical parameters that we have right now for children under 10 is are just the bar is set very low in terms of, of what we're looking for for in terms of world-class technique on the forehand well that's my take on it guys let me know what you think if you have any comments please leave them i check all the comments for the live show i'll be working on the podcast production and I'll get the podcast up for you guys soon. If you are in the interested in coming to the beautiful mountains of Vermont and training in a rural uh, mountain wonderland, no distractions, training professionally like the best academies in Florida and Spain, but in a quiet uh, in the quiet country, uh, country setting of Vermont, please consider coming to our academy. Manchester, Vermont, Vermont, look it up. Manchester, Vermont is a very well-known tourist destination on the East Coast. It's absolutely beautiful, small town, quintessential Vermont village. And the club is just 20 minutes. We are located just 20 minutes from Manchester. Most of the families who come to visit stay in Manchester or in that area. We've got spring training coming up and summer camp starting June 21st. We have a very exciting summer plan. Lots of UTR events. We're a UTR club competition every weekend. We have a big $5,000 pro event with professional players and top college players coming in. The last event we ran had seven players in the top 1,000 ATP training at, at the uh, playing at the academy. In the money event, we have... We have in fact, all of our junior events are money events now. So that big one is a pro event, but for men, usually men. 
sometimes top juniors play, but pretty much every UTR event we run now at the academy has prize money. Some of the prize money is smaller, but that's something that I believe in is compensating juniors for their hard work. So kids are earning, you know, $50, they're earning their entry fee back or $100 or $150. They can pay, that can pay for travel, that can pay for some of their equipment, you know. In my opinion, I think that's a little more valuable than a really big trophy for many families. Now, if you got all the money in the world and you just want to rack up trophies, that's fine. But a lot of families actually need the cash uh, to help support their tennis. So that's something new that we're doing. All of the events that we offer now, you can find our club at myutr.com if you're interested. Chris Lewis Tennis Academy. All of our events are prize money events now. Of course, we do give a nice small medals, medallions to winner and finalist, but the, the goal is to try to uh, put cash in, in families and players' hands so that they can use that for their, their development. Anyway, guys, it's been a pleasure. I'm sorry I missed you. We were out for a while. We'll try to get back on track with production. Uh, apologize for the spring break. I hope you'll stay with me on the show. If you have any requests for different topics, let me know. I'm uh, In my show planning, I'm thinking about uh, a little more uh, technical. I, I'm studying a lot of exercise science right now in college, uh, going back to school right now. So my mind is sort of in a technical area. I love talking about the ground stroke, biomechanics. That was sort of the the impetus for this show. Is that you know there's a there's a better biomechanical way to teach the foreign. Why are we doing that? Why is it so common to teach it an old-fashioned way? I think we'll probably do a, uh, a little few more shows this spring. Uh, leading up to the summer in the biomechanical world, in the technical world. And we'll talk about the backhand, possibly two-handed backhand next show. Let me know if you have any requests for uh, for shows. And if you're a parent or a player, if you need help with your game, please reach out to me. You can text me, you can WhatsApp me, have a, you can follow us on Instagram, follow us, uh, follow the, the Academy or myself on Facebook, any of the socials. And we have uh, players who, who I'm working with from all over the country. I have a lot of international families reaching out to me. Feel free to reach out to me and I'll be happy to guide you uh, remotely through videos and uh, help you any way I can in online or, or from a distance. And of course, you can always visit me and train with me in person. Guys, it's been my pleasure. I will see you on the next program. Adios, amigos.